Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to another installment of my Haunted Life podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. How's your week going? Are you enjoying fall yet? Don't forget to send me your spooky stories. I want to hear all about your haunted slash paranormal experiences for the extra special listener episodes coming this October. Please email me them at myhauntedlifepodcast.com. This week is the second episode of the Vampire Trilogy. Raindrops, queen of the Vampire Court of Dallas, is going to tell us all about the New England Vampire Scare. Which I feel is a little bit relatable in our current corona culture. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. Imagine a pale, gaunt, sickly creature coughing up blood. It has withered away so much that you can barely tell if it's a living human or a decaying corpse, slowly being eaten away from the disease inside of them. It might sound like something out of a horror movie, but this ghastly sight was very common in the 18th and 19th centuries. Tuberculosis is a disease of the lungs that basically ends up consuming a person, hence its other name, consumption. One 18th century description read, The emaciated figure strikes one with terror. The forehead covered with drops of sweat, the cheeks painted with a livid crimson, the eyes sunk, the breath offensive, quick and laborious, and the cough so incessant as to scarce allow the wretched sufferer time to tell his complaints. It was an awful way to go. Often a victim languished for years with the disease. It really did appear that something was slowly draining the life and the blood out of the sufferer. During this time, tuberculosis killed one out of every seven people living in the United States and Europe. Tuberculosis was so prevalent that it even became a fashion statement. Wanted attributes in a Victorian lady were to be thin and fragile, pale but have rosy cheeks, sparkling eyes, and red lips, which just so happened to align perfectly with the symptoms of a low-gray fever. At the Pharmacy Museum in New Orleans, they have a jar of blue morpho butterflies. The iridescent blue coloring of the powdered wings was used like blush to give the skin that deathly blue tone. There were even corsets that curved the back to give you a hunch rounded look. The idea was to be fragile and in need to be cared for. Compared to other diseases that ran rampant at the time, consumption wasn't the worst way to go. But for a very long time, no one knew why people were dying. Or who was next? It wasn't until March 24th, 1882, 
Dr. Robert Koch announced the discovery of Mycobacterium tuberculosis, the bacteria that causes TB. Is contracted by bacteria from one person to another through tiny droplets released into the air via cough and sneezes. The CDC lists the symptoms of tuberculosis as a bad cough that lasts three weeks or longer, pain in the chest, coughing up blood or phlegm from deep inside the lungs. Other symptoms of tuberculosis are weakness or fatigue, weight loss, no appetite, chills, fever, sweating at night. With so much death, it would make sense that people would be fearful. Medical science had not advanced, or was at least not trusted enough, to stop the disease. It would make sense, as people watched their family members die around them, that they would try anything to save them, even the most barbaric of things. After this quick break and word from our sponsors, I'll be back with Rain once again for her to tell you about the New England Vampire Scare. Miss Rain, Queen Rain, take it away. I want to pour myself some more wine. Yes. Oh, what type of wine are you drinking there? I am drinking Apothic, because that's what I live off of, and it's fairly cheap. And it's a very vampire type of wine. You know, a lot of people like to post it for vampire balls and stuff like that. Right? And that being said, you know, wine, red wine, blood. I know. I'm drinking a port. Um... I can't remember what my fave, but it's like an Italian port, I believe is what it is. I think so. Uh, we'll get the name of that later. Yes. But anywho, whenever you asked me to join this podcast, I was so excited because there are so many great vampire, like real life vampire figures. Yes. That, um, were known as notorious serial killers, hauntings, um, some, a lot of really things. So it, it took me forever to kind of narrow down like, okay, what do I want to do? We could go with Vlad, but everyone knows Vlad the Impaler. Everybody knows Vlad. Everyone knows Father Vlad. Um, You could talk about a lot of other stories. People know them. And something I wanted to bring up is something I don't think a lot of people know what happened here in the United United States. And what I want to talk about is the New England Vampire Scare. I'm so excited. And so something about the New England Vampire uh, Scare is that it actually happened here. Um, It as the title states, it's New England, so it happened majorly in, like, Vermont, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, kind of far northeast. And it kind of, it happened about 18th, 19th century, where it was actually a plague of TB, or tuberculosis. But at the time, in 18th, 19th century, we didn't have the ability to look at pathogens. We didn't really understand disease. And so it was late, it was known early in times as consumption. Mm-hmm. And this also played right after the Civil War. This is where it's really primarily. So not only 
the, the Civil War take up a ton of bodies. Um, we lost a lot of casualties during that war. Now you have a plague on top of it that are really affecting the Northeast. And so the oh, reason wow. it was called consumption, and they didn't really know it was known as TB at the time, is because it would, the victims would, it's almost like they're getting disease. Like it was a weird disease. Like they were hungry, they were starving, they wanted to eat, but mm-hmm. they were eating. Like they were, um, sometimes had blood come out of their mouth. So that's another reason why it's called the vampire. Like they have seen vampires. Because you would cough up blood, you were losing a lot of weight, you became very feverish, you had very sunken eyes. And so, um, as any new age people, we just got a reward, you know, and so we're like, maybe we are plagued, you know, there's something going on, something is sucking our life force away from us. Huh. To be a reasonable human being, it must be vampires. <laughs> I had no idea how, like, recent in our history it was. I, for some reason, I was thinking, like, 1700s back there. Yeah, it started off in, like, 1779, I think, okay. was the very first case. And it went to about, like, eight, mid-1800s. Um, it lasted quite some time. Um, it also, it almost lasted 100 years, actually. Oh, yeah. So Cases known was like Mercy Brown in 1892, which we'll we'll get to here in a bit because she is the most famous case, but was also the last technical vampire to be exhumed from her grave. Oh, like I know the name, but that's about all I know. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about her because she turned out to be the most famous. But I want to share some other ones that actually led to Mercy Brown and some of the connections because, guys, I really, I really love this and. <laughs> about this um there's actually a book called oh, i have it here it's called um food for the dead uh mm-hmm. new england empire story um it's a book that was written about all of the cases of um the new england vampires so if you're a big book reader uh, look at that book really really knowledgeable about each of the cases leading up to the very last one which is mercy brown oh wow and it actually mentions to um later in the future um, when it happens in Europe. Okay. Um, so the other thing that was really weird about the bout of TB that was going on in the Northeast is it seems selective on who it picked. Like there could be one family in a town that gets affected, or it could be three family members and a couple of other family members would be fine. So that's why they thought it was like a curse. Like it was, there must be something attached to those individuals. They're the ones that are cursed. Okay. And whenever these were happening, you know, the villagers essentially reasoned that we have to stop the plague. We have to start, um, we have to find out what's going on. So one of the first doctors to come about um, learned about a medical practice in Europe when they were dealing with vampires and reasoned that the first person that dies in the family from consumption obviously must be the vampire and is plaguing the other members because what traditionally happens one member of the family would um, get sick, and then the other family members would be next to go. Like, it, would, it took out whole families. Okay, that makes sense. So what was reasoned by the villagers is they buried this individual, and other members are getting sick, and they're, you know, they're getting the life sucked out of them. So obviously, the, per- the first person to die is sucking the life from the rest of the family. Oh. Um, because, again, the, those after the first born were not far to perish. Mm-hmm. So, eventually, um, it was believed that because the family members were so close, like, 
people it's behind to die of TB. And something to think about, it's not like the traditional, like tuberculosis is such a weird disease. I read an article uh, when I was researching this a little bit further to compare it to COVID-19 to kind of look at it in our, our current stance is like, imagine a very communicable disease, something that is very, very contagious, goes through water droplets, is airborne, but take it to 1700s when we don't understand pathogens or how things work and how diseases and things work. And it manifests kind of like COVID-19, but the symptoms are even more ambiguous. Like if you become very and then go dormant and that comes back and kills you. But then you're like draining and you had a very low survival rate. It could knock out whole families. Um, and it could explode their population very quickly, but it could also be very slow, which is why people thought it was pinpointing its victims. Thus, why is a vampire? Makes sense. Uh, so there's a lot of stories, and I'll talk about a couple of them, but what they imagined is like, um, the reason it started becoming vampires is there was a report of members that were next to die saying that they saw their family members sitting on their bed or would see them walking through the fields or um, were calling to them in the night and they would soon also uh, die of the consumption of the TB. And so because they were saying that they saw these apparitions, clearly in the 1700s, or like 1790 through 18, these guys were leaving their graves and coming out stalking their family members and consuming them and pulling their life force away. That's why they're also getting sick. Huh. So it's kind of... Tell me reason that these vampires were definitely coming from their grave. Okay, like very Banshee-esque. Yeah, it's very Banshee-esque. Okay. Like any late century um, New Englander, they reasoned um, a doctor came along, and at first he was called a quack doctor for his ideas. He goes, hey guys, I researched stuff in England, and when this is happening, the only thing, the clear thing to do is we need to exhume the bodies. And we need to check them to see if they're vampires. Okay. Because that's what you do, right? Yeah. You know, your your family is dying. And so what happened is the theory was you exhume the first person to die because they are clearly the vampire. And there's a couple of different things that they looked for whenever they're exhuming bodies. And if several people died at the same time, they exhumed all the bodies. And to determine if the person was actually the root and plate, um, they were less composed than normal. Now, keep in mind, people did not exhume bodies. No one really had a clear understanding of how body decomposition works. Yeah, I was about to ask you about that. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Also, in the Northeast, and this is happening November through February timeframe, typically where it's frozen. Yeah. Okay. They're going to decompose a lot slower. And so depending on when the time of death was and when people were buried, you know, they could have very different composition rates to their family member that died a couple months before in the summer. Um, yeah. So what they're doing is when they pulled up these bodies, some of them had, in theory, nails that were grown longer, hair that was grown normal. Which, guys, when you die, your skin recedes. So your hair does look longer, your nails look longer. (laughs) Clearly, you are still alive. And if they notice that you 
your body is not as decomposed as it should be, mind you, you're buried in cold ground, something is up. Um, if you were pertained to have not decomposed to what is expected, you are then exhumed from your grave completely and sliced open. The next step to determining if you were a vampire was they would open you up, they cut you open, and they would check your organs for blood. If you still had pooled blood in your system, especially in your heart, uh, you were considered um, someone that is bringing about the plague. Because that means you've been drawing blood and consummation from your family members. And this happened in a lot of the well-known cases of the New England vampires here. They would pull up these bodies, and they still had blood in their hearts. They still had blood in their organs. And so because it had pooled and had not directly decomposed or left, they were assumed to be vampires. And I feel like every state did something a little bit different to combat the vampire problem. Okay. So, for example, the most common thing that was talked about was... If you came across someone in your family that was met, met this criteria, so not decomposed, looking pretty well preserved, had blood still in um, your organs, then the only thing to do is to burn the organs or burn the body and then have any family members that are currently ailing to drink the ashes and water or eat the ashes of the deceased. That would therefore end the curse. And the reason it got popularity is because some people did this and the family members stopped dying off. So they're like, it works. We killed the vampire. This, where is it? We, we did it. <laughs> um, some people did not do it so lucky. Um, some people did this and one family member still died, but the rest of the family members may not have died anymore. Um, again, and some of these people, it went dormant and then they end up have died and tried to death a few years later. Okay. So, again, that's kind of the weird workings of TV. And some sure. people did this, and um, nothing ever happened. Um, and all the family members still ended up passing away, so they thought it was a quack job. It was untrue. And it kind of depended on which city you were you were living in. Some thought it great success. Some thought it was not that great at all. Huh. That, that's such a weird, like, jump. Like, okay, we're going to observe everything and make our theory off of what we observed, which makes sense. Like, you know, scientific hypothesis and all that good stuff. But then the idea is to drink the ashes. Like, I want to know who came up with that. Yeah, and, you know, doing so much research, it was kind of hard to find exactly where the true origin of that came from. Okay. It was said to have come from when they originally had, like, the vampire issues and... Like Romania, Bulgaria area. Oh. Um, that was kind of where some of the original like originators came from. Um, and I can't, I can't for the life of me remember the. It's a ritual, a sacred ritual, drinking ashes to clean yourself. I think it's like, forgive me, guys, anybody that watches the podcast, I'm probably gonna butcher it. It's called like apo, apotraic, uh, ritual. Okay. Um, it's something along those lines. I could be butchering, but it's a sacred ritual for respect and taking the ashes and thus for cleaning out yourself. Huh. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a weird one. I can't remember the exact formality of the name, but it is a sacred ritual that's out there apparently. That's really interesting. Cause I know a couple of years ago, a bunch of people, I believe in Romania got themselves in trouble for uh, digging up a supposed vampire 
And same thing, drinking the ashes and, you know, toasting the body. And they got in trouble for desecrating a grave. This was just like a couple of years ago. Well, you know, five, ten, somewhere in there now, probably, but. And we'll talk about more cases, but like one, um, some people thought it was against God's work, you know, because we are living in a very Christian world. Mm-hmm. And there was one family called the Johnson family that, um, have notes here, um, we're in Wilmington, Connecticut, and it was actually the first documented case of exhuming a body for vampirism. Ooh. And that was in '74. And what happened is the Johnson family had um, five, and it was a family of five, I believe, and their first child began getting ill, and then followed by a second child. And so as the third child was starting to ail, they knew they had to do something. And that's where the quack doctor, and I can never remember his name, and I should have wrote it down. He's the one that said, I'm like, hey, guys, I know this medical practice that happens. I've heard about it in Europe, and it's going to for sure save us because we're dealing with vampires. He was called, like, crazy for about 20 years before people started actually picking on the trend because more and more cases were becoming more prominent. How funny. Uh, but the dad... Um, ended up being convinced by this doctor to exhume the bodies of the first two children that died. And one of them was, and they died within, I think it was like three or four months apart from each other. Like it happened super quick. And one body was completely decomposed, like really and definitely into the rotting phase. Expect what they would have expected a corpse to very bloat, et cetera. The other one looked like they had just been buried, like hardly any decomposition, um, it looked very well preserved. There was blood in the organs. Um, the doctor's like, all right, this child is the vampire. We clearly need to burn the body. We need to drink the ashes. Oh. That's what they did. Uh, they burned the body of the mid, the mid child, I believe is the one that, uh, that was very well preserved. And the, the one that was ailing drank the ashes and so did the mom and the dad. Mm. And the family, no one else passed away actually um every the child recovered everyone lived until about 30 years later um the father mr johnson was working on building a church and died in a very horrific accident where the church beam actually fell on him and killed him on the spot oh damn um and his blood was said to have stayed on the church for 30 years they scrubbed and it wouldn't go anywhere and so the townsfolk said because of the crime that he committed by burning his child's body and drinking the ashes this is a sign from god that he was wrong so this is like, so like the the whole drinking the ashes is total like folk magic almost kind of thing, and totally not condoned by the church, medical science, anything like that. But it's something people are doing because they heard it's working. Okay. And you know, think about it now, like, and like think about our common culture right now. So for those that don't know, I started medical school. I did not actually complete medical school, so don't please contact me. Uh, but I'm <laughs> A doctor. You still work uh, in hospitals, though. I still work in the medical field. I still yeah. do a lot of stuff in hospitals. But um, uh, think about now. Like, if you hear that you're dying, you're going to try really any remedy. People try CBD. People will pretty much try anything as the magic cure to be better. And you're seeing your family pass away. You're yeah. All these doctors, coughing up blood, draining. It's such a gruesome death TV is. So you'll... You get to the point where you'll try anything to see if you could save somebody. Especially your children. Yeah. And think about, they just finished a war, 
population, we're looking at 25 of the population was, was knocked out um, due to this TB and vampire scare, um, essentially. So you're already dealing with low numbers of something you don't understand what's happening. So it's a very scary time, especially you just lost a lot of bodies after a war. Um, so you have like differences of religion, but you're like, okay, I'm going to challenge my religion if this means saving the rest of my family. Mm-hmm. I will get put on that platform quite a bit, even today with coronavirus. You you don't know what to do yeah. to save your family. I am kind of uh, sad there's not corona vampires, though. Yeah, but because that's a logic thing, is vampires back then. Um, and it was, vampires is actually very well known, and it was a, a folklore to scare individuals, mm-hmm. but because of, like, how dramatic and traumatic um, TV can be by sinking your eyes and just tearing away, but you're still, like, so hungry and grasping for everything, it... It made sense that something was taking you, and especially coughing up blood. They assume like that's something taking your blood. Okay. Um. So I know we kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there with Sorry. Mr. Johnson. I <laughs> want to share like fun facts about the different states and how they they um, how they attack like how they approach the uh, vampire situation. And so Rhode Island was primarily the ones that like dig them up, burn them. Let's drink their stuff. Let's just do this. Like okay. Rhode Island was on board with this. Um, Maine and Massachusetts kind of cracked me up because they also participated in the same ritual, but they they dug up someone and was like, oh, okay, they meet the signs of the vampires. They would actually flip the bodies face down in the coffin and bury them face down because the reasoning was the person awakes from their sleep, they're going to try and get out, but they're going to dig down. They're going to dig down. They're going to keep digging down. I'm not going to dig up. Um, so that was their way of like dealing with the vampires. Like, all right, let's dig themselves to the core of the earth and die. And you know, they, they'll get lost and we don't have to worry about them. They'll become very confused. <laughs> I mean, okay. Okay, fine. It, it's about as bad as drinking ashes. Okay. And again, there were some communities that still participate in the ash drinking, um, philosophy. And then you have like Vermont who, a lot of um, cemeteries were always on the outskirts of town were very private. Mm-hmm. And something about Vermont is Vermont had their cemeteries more in town, like in the square. And so obviously late night trying to dig up your family member was everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know what's happening. So it just oh, became no. a part. Yes, we're going to dig up a family member. So it was like a town burning. Oh, no. So in Vermont, it was really well known to get in the square and party as you're burning your family member and drinking the ashes. So it was kind of like a, all right, let's get drunk and drink some ashes. All right, let's go. Oh my god! Um, more of the Vermont tradition. I. It's funny that you don't really know about. No, I. I mean, I've been to Vermont and I have been amazed in these little towns that the centuries old. <laughs> Uh, cemeteries are right there, smack dab in the middle of town. That's a thing. I, I, but I'm like, I'm, I'm picturing like all these cute little villages. I guess they're not really villages, but um, towns in Vermont. I've been to Chester, Springfield, that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time imagining these people having a party while they burn a body to drink the ashes. Yeah, it was a thing. Um, in Vermont, wow. for sure, because okay. 
can't you can't hide that you're trying to think of a family member because you have that one nosy neighbor that's like, oh, what, what you doing over there? You you you're digging up a body. <laughs> um, like all the other places where it's a little bit more private, they can secretly go into the woods at night, check their family member, like, okay, we're good, they're not a vampire. Okay. You don't want the Karen neighbor to be like, oh no. <laughs> Just saying. I love it. Oh my god. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna send this to my Vermont friends. I go, did you know this? <laughs> um. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit of the background story of like the New England vampire scare. So you guys kind of get an idea. Now, some of the cases I want to talk about. Um, there's three cases I really want to talk about, and then we'll of course end with Mercy Brown, who is like the most famous case. That's the and only one I'm familiar case. with. What? That's the only one I'm familiar with. I'm like, I know that name, but that's about it. Yeah. And the funny thing is, people know her, but she was the last one to ever be known to have this happen to her. And that's crazy. Think about a hundred years before her that this stuff was happening before her. That's... And she just became a famous one. Huh. So I talked to the Johnson family, which was like, yeah, so we were talking about some of the families, and one of the next families I want to talk about is the Congdon family. Um, so the Congdon family was one of the very first cases of an African-American family being plagued by consumption and being plagued by what they assumed was a vampire to their family. And I really think it's important to bring up their case because they were, a lot of studies that you see kind of took them out of the history, and as we come into Black Lives Matter, I think mm-hmm. it's great that we we bring them up because they were also um, really frowned upon by the community because only they were afflicted. And, but of course, oh. an American family, they, the, a lot of the, the other villagers were like, oh, it's because it's your kind. We don't have anything to worry about. Well, when Mr. Congdon, he lost one child, he lost another one. And as the third one became sick and was on their deathbed, he's like, all right, I've heard about this cure we're going to exhume the first child and we're going to and check. And of course, whenever he exhumed it, same symptoms. The body was well preserved. There was blood in the organs. And so he assumed that he had been cursed by a vampire. The vampire was what was taking their family. And so Mr. Congdon then burned the body and drank the ashes with his wife and the youngest child um, that had not yet been sick. Um, and of course they, they managed to live on, uh, but the family, like the community was very against them. They're like, Oh, well, that's just your thing. Like, how dare you? And then as soon as like the started becoming more popularized and it started getting out more in the news and actually more of the community became afflicted, then they were like, okay, maybe it's not just your kinds. It kind of showed a little bit more of, Hey, how can we work together to stop this vampire that we're being plagued by? Jesus. Okay. Well, we spring them up. Jesus. Okay. That's awful. I know. So we talked about the Johnson family um, in the last recording. Now we talked about the Congdon. And the third I want to talk about is the Tillinghoffs family because it kind of ties into my last person that I want to talk about, which is Mercy Brown. And the Tillinghoffs family, I think, plays a big point into Mercy Brown, uh, which we'll talk about here in a second. Uh, but another reason I want to bring up the Tellinghaus family is because they're the ones that really kind of started the folklore of the ghost stories and the terror behind the visualizations of these vampires coming into the city and attacking people. Okay. And they're not 
Yes, yeah, please. Please bring us ghosts. Fit the theme. Fit the theme. The Julie Haas situation happened in about 1799, and uh, there was no one afflicted in their village um, whenever this whole situation started going down. And what happened is Mr. Tillinghouse started noticing he, he owned an orchard. He was really well prominent, like orchard farmer. Okay. And he's like, huh? I said, okay. Yeah. That's all. Made those trees <laughs> and made some fruit. All that fruit. Uh, you need some wine for this? I, I gotta get a little. Now I'm almost out. I may need um, Mr. Vampire King to bring me some more here soon. Start snapping for him. <laughs> it's like that. Yes. Um. So he started noticing like his orchard trees were starting to die one by one. They would become brown. They would begin to die. And he was very well orchard. Like he did this every year. So he wasn't sure what was happening to his orchard. Okay. Uh, conditions had not changed. He was doing the same thing he normally does and wasn't sure why he's now losing his source of income. Hmm. Well, shortly after his trees began to wither, his daughter became very ill, um, and her name was Sarah. And she was later known to be have become ill with consumption, so she started exhibiting the symptoms of TB. Um, shortly after uh, she passed, Sarah passed away, the next sister... Um, said that she began seeing Sarah at her bed, um, and Sarah was sitting on her feet and causing her a lot of pain and discomfort. Okay. And if you saw Sarah's body walking through the orchard. Um, shortly after um, the next sister started seeing Sarah, she also became ill. Mm. Um, once the next sister became sick, um, the next sibling, so the... The Tillingson house family had like 12 or like 14 children. They had a lot of kids. Um, but then like the next series of children started seeing the same thing. Like after Sarah and then her sister passed away, they said that, then they said they saw both Sarah and the next sister sitting at their beds. And so Mr. Tillinghouse was like, okay, this is a sign that they're going to get sick next. So I think we have a vampire because they're seeing this apparition coming to their beds and then they're becoming sick very shortly after. Wow. Um, so this trend continued till six out of the 14 Tillinghouse kids died of consumption. Six out of 14? Six out of 14 passed away. Damn. So Mr. Tillinghouse is like, okay, his wife and then the next child started seeing apparitions. And now that wife and the next kid was, um, starting to see these, he's like, I noticed a trend. We have to do something. So... He, they decided to exhume all six children that had passed away. Um, and all of the children um, were decomposed except for the very first one to die, which was Sarah. Okay. Uh, Sarah was perfectly, in theory, based on folklore, um, she was well-preserved. Like, she, did, she had no trace of decomposition happen to her. Um, her nails had grown, her... Hair had grown again. We talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Natural sign. We, we shed our skin so everything looks a little longer. Um, but her eyes were open, and they don't remember burying her with her eyes open. Oh, crazy. Uh, later, it's assumed that 
you know, they didn't have doctors like us nowadays, so they couldn't actually know if someone was for sure dead. So the theory <gasps> later on, she actually was buried alive later on. Oh, no. And that was such a common thing back then, too. That was a super common thing. So that's why they think her body had changed, because it had also, in theory, changed position in the grave. So that's oh, when they no. decided it was for sure a vampire. Um, so they decided to, of course, exhume her. They opened her organs. They had um, the pooling of blood inside. Mm-hmm. So they, she was very full of the blood of the other kids. Um, so they did burn her. They drank the ashes. The mom drank the ashes. The rest of the family drank, um, drank the ashes. And so um, two children at the time were sick. There was another sister and then a boy named James. And the sister ended up passing away, but James and then the rest of the kids ended up surviving after um, Sarah. Okay. In the ashes. But what was known is that Mr. Tillinghoff was actually friends with um, with um, Mercy Brown's dad. And so it was kind of like that whole mission where maybe that's where uh, Mercy Brown's dad got the idea to actually exhume Mercy and drink her ashes. And so that's how they're connected. Um, and the ghost kind of folklore. Okay. I know, it's kind of an interesting family story. Yeah. So, I mean, man, they lost 50% of their kids. They lost seven out of the 14 kids to consumption. Wow. Uh, I wanted to ask you this earlier. I don't know, with the pooling of the blood, is that a normal decomposition thing? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Just... I get the living, not the dead. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but I, I was curious to ask one of my, like, some of my friends that are in the death industry, but it's not very common to exhume bodies. So a lot of people don't know kind of what happens to your body upon um, exhuming a body and what the normal rate of decomposition is. And I think it goes back to the whole idea of when they were buried. Okay. Sarah also died in the winter. And again, the ground is frozen. So you have a frozen body essentially that's more well-preserved versus someone that could have died in hotter ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of factors that play into your rate of decomposition when you die. So um, I think, especially when we're dealing with the Northeast, there's a lot of factors that could play into this. And, you know, anyone that could be watching the podcast, feel free to correct us or give us a little bit more knowledge. Because um, it's still something I've, I know a little bit about, but I would not consider myself an expert on. Fair enough. I was just curious if you knew off the top of your head. Yeah. No. Okay. Not so, we now get to go to our favorite story, which is Mercy Brown. So, yes. Mercy Brown um, is one of the most popular stories of the New England vampire uh, scare. And what's funny is she became the most famous, but compared to records, she was actually the very last person in the Northeast to ever be exhumed being considered a vampire. Okay. Um, there are, there's a lot of ghost stories about her grave. Like you can still visit her grave site to this day, um, right outside of Providence and it's in Chestnut Hill Cemetery and her grave site has, her grave site has actually had to have been replaced like several times because every time people visit her grave, they chip away the stones to take away as souvenirs. And at one um, her gravestone was actually stolen, oh, but it re- one week later, like someone returned it. So there's like some suspiciousness that whoever grabbed her, uh, her gravestone became cursed. And I sure hope went- so. 
Yeah, you should never mess with the dead. No. Uh, right now, people do visit her grave. Her grave is located right behind the White Chapel um, in the cemetery, and they typically leave like little vampire fangs or candles and trinkets to honor her as a vampire in the current life. When in theory, we don't know if she was actually considered a real vampire. So you're telling um, me we're going on a road trip? We could. We could very well go on a road trip and go okay. find uh, Mercy Brown. So what happened in the Mercy Brown story is um, the father, the father um, George, his family started becoming ill. So it started off with um, Mercy's older sister and then Mercy, and then followed quickly by um, George's wife and then also their his son, Edwin. Um, Edwin actually, fun fact, whenever he started exhibiting the signs of consumption, he actually left the Northeast and went to a sanitarium in Colorado Springs that was set up as a TV place. I probably know exactly where that place is. Yeah, so it was a TV camp in Colorado Springs, Mm -hmm. and it was assumed that, um, if you came from the Northeast down to hotter climate, it was one of the cures for, um, Mm -hmm. consumption. Little do people know that you're actually just spreading it in right? airborne. I mean, out here in Colorado, that there's, especially where I live, um, you can rent out TB huts as cheap little cottages behind people's house to this day. They're literally everywhere. It's a huge yeah. thing. Yeah. If you look up um, the color, like, 1892 Colorado Sanitarium, Colorado Springs Sanitarium TV, mm-hmm. you'll see, like, pictures of, like, these tiny little tents all through the mountains mm-hmm. of, like, your little private TB hut, TB huts. Yeah, they're really cute. They're well. mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, like, little yurts in the mountains. Yeah! We have a place here in Manitou that it's two little TB huts uh, right next to each other on Main Street that sells nuts out of them. Nuts and like slushies. Aw. It's cute. So, what happened is Mercy's mom ended up passing away first, and then um, Mercy became very sick. Edwin became very sick, but he went to Colorado Springs and he actually recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually got a lot better, and then he ended up returning back to his home in Rhode Island. And whenever he returned back home um, in about it was like beginning of 1892, so we're looking at January, February time frame. He came home to find that uh, Mercy was very, very ill, like on her deathbed. And she eventually did pass. Um, at this point, the family, the town was like, you're, you know, they've heard the stories and everything else that's been going on. They're like, like, I just imagine when I read the story, like there's like this little old lady sticking out of her cottage, like, your family is cursed. Oh, no. So I get that kind of insight, because literally the villagers started attacking George Brown, saying, hey, oh, sure. you're the only family that's afflicted in our village. You're cursed. You need to do something about it before it goes to all of us. Oh, man. It's only your family right now that's sick. And George actually, which is Mercy's father, he didn't believe in it. And so there is a group of people that believe that if I just don't believe in it, and I strongly don't believe in it, I'm not going to catch it. Okay. Okay. So, right like COVID totally familiar people totally don't familiar. change never change this is happening in 1892 guys yeah. Jesus. it's happening now um but essentially the villagers convinced George that he needed to exhume the bodies of his wife and his daughter 
and determine if one of them was a vampire uh, because they they are cursed. Now, keep in mind, uh, Mercy's body was held in a crypt because the ground was too... Um, I can't remember if it's too hot or too cold, but it was one of the two. They couldn't actually bury her, like, dig her grave because okay. the ground was not... It was too cold. The ground was too hot, cold. It's frozen. So, like, in the grave she's buried in, uh, there's actually a crypt in the back, and she was actually held there for a couple of months before she was actually placed in the ground. Okay. Um, so, a little backstory on Mercy. So, a couple of months passed before the villagers are, like, really getting on a joke around that he needs to he needs to do something about his curse. And, again, it's just his wife and his daughter. It's been a couple of months, and everyone's still kind of on and off sick. Because, again, TB is weird. It will come on, it will go away, it will come on, and then you'll become deathly ill. And so finally, George agrees. Again, um, ideas is that he was friends with uh, Mr. Chillinghouse, who had told him about the situation. So George agreed that they would allow him to exhume his wife and his daughter to check to see if they could be vampires, but George would not be present because he didn't believe that this was something that was right. Okay. He's kind of bullied into it. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't show up, and so they exhumed the bodies. And supposedly, um, he had a doctor go with them because he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna have a doctor um, go with you guys because I don't really trust this whole thing is real, but I've been hearing a lot about it, so I want to have a, someone that's considered sane of mind to mm-hmm. also be there as we're checking bodies." So the bodies are exhumed. Um, his wife is very decomposed. And again, him and Mer- her and Mercy died at about the same time. Uh, Mercy died a few months later. And when they uncovered Mercy, her life, her body was perfectly preserved. She even had blood on her lips, supposedly. Ooh, okay. And which is very common in TB patients. Mm-hmm. But, and especially with the damage that happens after to your body afterwards, like you were just kind of expelling blood. Yeah. Um, so with that, they determined that Mercy was for sure, um, afflicted and the, the root cause behind, um, everything. So compared to her mom and then her sister who also had passed, um, so the family, like, obviously the doctor and the villagers were like, all right, she is for sure afflicted, uh, because Mercy is perfectly in shape. It looked like she'd just been put in the ground yesterday. And even before they exhumed the body, the folklore is that uh, townspeople were seeing Mercy walk through the fields, were looking through their windows. Um, oh, creepy. And seeing her body, you know, and of course, that's going to happen when people are concerned. Mm-hmm. That they're seeing things, and who knows if they, these are things that they could actually see. Yeah. So they dug up her body, determined that she was afflicted, and so they ended up opening her up her organs were still very much pooled with blood mm-hmm. and so they assumed that she had been feeding off of edwin who had become ill again oh. so they ended up burning her organs and asking um edwin to drink it george never i don't think george actually ever her dad actually drank ashes because he didn't believe in this okay um but edwin did end up drinking the ashes of mercy and he actually got better but he ended up I, again, TV is such a weird thing. It ended up coming back a few years later, or a year or so later, and he ended up he did end up uh, passing to oh. TV. Um, but the funny thing is, though we talked about several cases today, Mercy Brown became the most famous, 
out of all of the New England vampire scares, I think of how publicized it was and how vocal everyone was about it. Um, it was rumored that Mercy Brown was actually the inspiration behind uh, Bram Stoker writing Dracula. Oh. Because it was Bram Stoker passed away when they were going through his library or like his desk. He had news articles of Mercy Brown. And so they think there was um, a something there because her name was Mercy Lena Brown and so it rhymed with Mina a little bit. Oh, that's fun. So there was kind of this idea that she did kind of help influence a lot of um, Bram Stoker's ideas behind it. As well as um, there's also another reason she became so famous is they believe that she also inspired um, Stephen King to write Salem's Lot. Because Stephen King also was very inspired by Mercy Mercy Brown's story. Oh wow! Story, and then watch Salem's Lot. You'll see a lot of similar cases. I need to go rewatch it now. It's been forever. Yeah, so that's kind of like how her story kind of paved the way for some of the vampire culture that has happened in our modern society. Huh. See, I didn't know the Bram Stoker thing, and that's kind of fun because that totally leads in. To who I'm doing, who is also another inspiration. I'm not sure who you're talking about. A huge thank you once again to Rain for being on the podcast today and sharing with us all about the New England Vampire Scare. Makes me want to remind all of you to wear your masks out there. You can find more about the Vampire Court of Dallas at vampirecourtofdallas.org, especially their semi-fang project, which is all about being an ally to those that have lost loved ones to suicide or have battled with suicidal thoughts themselves. Please remember you are loved, and if you are struggling and need someone to talk to, There is always someone at the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Thank you so much again for listening to another episode of My Haunted Life Podcast. You are one wonderful, amazing, dark, batty creature of the night. I appreciate you so much. If you like the show, please rate and review me on your favorite podcast apps. It goes a long way to helping other people find me. I also have a Facebook group that I'm pretty rarely on. Also, I have a Patreon. If you really want to support the show and help me decide on future episodes, go off and have a great, amazing week. And I will see you guys next time.